Romans chapter 7. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for all who are serving on this campus tonight. May you empower each and every servant and use your servants, Lord, to to bless those they're ministering to. I pray that you'll give us all receptive and open hearts to receive your word, to receive your work of the spirit in in and through our lives. I pray, Father, for junior high schoolers and high schoolers um, at, at Calvary East Valley. I pray, Lord, that they would be attentive and receptive of whatever is shared. And may you empower and use Joseph there for your glory. May they have a great time of fellowship with you and with each other. And may we here, Lord, have a great time of fellowship with you in every building on this campus. We pray that you keep us safe. Father, I pray for the gift of teaching. I pray to be sensitive to your spirit. And Lord, may I decrease at this time and you increase. And may you be glorified by all that is going on on this campus and through your teaching, through your word, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So the title of tonight's message is, How Are You Serving? And so we'll spend time in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. The question I have for you all is, what comes, to, what comes to mind when you think of the word serve? When you think of the word serve. Because when we think of that word, we normally think of doing something for someone other than ourselves. Now, just thinking about that word of serve or being a servant, a verse uh, comes to my mind and is very special to me because it's a verse that God used to confirm my call to the ministry when I finally asked him. And I believe at that time I was 22 years old. And for the first time I asked God would, what he wanted me to do, if he wanted me to be a preacher, if he wanted me to be a minister of the gospel. You know, because I have gone, you know, just, you know, just through the different services, gone through church, doing this and that, because people asked me to. There were openings and, you know, I just thought when I got saved, okay, I got saved at the age of 18 and 1997. And I just thought at that point, okay, well, I'll just share the gospel with whoever and just come to church and just obey God. That's it. You know, I had no aspirations or anything to, being leadership, I just didn't really look at it that way or even know too much about it until one day, maybe a year after I got saved, they said, hey, Darrell, why don't you go teach the Sunday school, teach the kids? Okay. I didn't pray about it or anything. I just went. And then other opportunities, other areas of service came about and, you know, hey, Darrell, why don't you be a deacon? You know, we need you know, we have, we need some deacons here. And so at that time I was probably, I don't know, 20, something like that, but okay, didn't pray about it. And so finally it gets to the point of, of being a youth pastor. And, you know, I was just talking to one of my teacher friends is at that time, cause I had a teaching position. I was 21 going on 22 and it was this guy from the East coast. He was a pastor and he, and he was teaching. And so I remember hearing his testimony of how he prayed to God. You know, he was Jehovah's Witness at first. And and so that kind of blew up. He found out that it was false teaching. And so he got mad at God and he was telling me his testimony that he told God, I'm not going to believe you or anybody else unless you show me. And, you know, something just clicked inside of my head because I was like, you know what? That's something I've never done. I, I don't remember praying to God and asking him if I should serve in this way or that way in the past. But yes, looking back, I can see how God used different people in the church to help me to get into my calling. I can see that now. But right there in the midst of it, I didn't know. So finally, I asked God, God, would he, if this is what you want me to do, and I don't recommend this for anybody, but I can but I just threw it out, me being naive. Lord, if you want me to be a minister, you want me to preach the gospel, show me by next Sunday. 
I, you know, I wasn't trying to be mean or crazy or anything like that. I just, you know, it's just the prayer that came to mind. And that's, that's what I prayed to the Lord. And so the week goes by and I'm expecting a dream or something like that. You know, I didn't know what to look for. And so finally Saturday came and it was almost midnight. I was asleep and I just woke up out of my sleep. I don't know why. At that point, I didn't know why. So I just went to the restrooms about to lay back down. And all of a sudden, I just had this impression to read. And I was like, no, I'll I'll do it tomorrow. That's what I said in my heart. And every time I tried to close my eyes, it was just an impression on my heart. Read. And I fought it for a little bit. And finally, I said, okay, well, I'm just going to open up the Bible. And I opened up the Bible. And I ended up at Matthew verse 20. And all of that to say is is that this is why the word serve or servant is is special to me. Because in Matthew chapter 20, you'll find that 10 of Jesus' disciples were not happy with James and John. Because their mother had asked on their behalf if one could sit on the right hand and one could sit on the left hand of Jesus in his kingdom. And so those Ten disciples, after hearing Jesus speak with them, after hearing what he said to them, those ten disciples, the other ten, they they got upset with James and John. But Jesus in Matthew 20, verse 25 says, But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They, They bring people under their power. They want to be served, and those who are great exercise authority over them. And then verse 26, probably my life's verse. If, you know, I heard, I know people said that before. This is my life's verse. And so verse 26 is the verse God used to confirm my call to the ministry. And he said, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And at that time, I was reading the King James Version, and the King James Version says, let him be your minister. And in verse 27 and 28, it says, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, I was about to close the Bible. I just, I can't remember if I got chills or what, but immediately I understood right after I closed the Bible, that that was God answering me before Sunday, a little bit before midnight. And so that's why I said the word serve or servant or minister is very important to me as I share Matthew 20, verse 26 with you. And tonight here we have plenty of servants, plenty of servants, not only here, but also in this community who are part of different Christian churches. And we have just servants everywhere throughout the body of Christ worldwide. And so the question is, you paid attention to the title, is not, are you serving? The question is not, who are you serving? The question isn't even, where are you serving? But the question tonight, And that is a part of the title is, how are you serving? And so the goal of tonight's study is self-examination. We look at ourselves, not at other people. We don't judge another man's servant. The people here who are believers, they're servants of God. And so we don't know what's in their hearts. And so it's not for us to judge how they're serving, to judge their ministry, but it is for self-examination and also for the purpose of correction, if anything, about how we're serving needs attention. And so in verse 1 of Romans 7, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul begins with a question. The question is, or do you not know, brethren, For I speak to those who know the law that the law has dominion or the law rules over a man as long as he lives. And so it appears that Paul was addressing the Jews who had become 
Christians and maybe thought that they still had to live under the law to use the law as a means to please God instead of grace. But what is said in this verse and the following verses in tonight's study is also applicable to anyone, even if they're a Gentile or non-Jew who attempts to use the law as what we call a rule of life. And verses 1 through 6 will explain what was said about the law in Romans chapter 6, our previous chapter, verses 14 and 15 in greater detail. In those two verses, Romans 6, 14 and 15, it says, For sin shall not have rule over you, for you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law? But under grace, certainly not. And so this seems to be a continuation or maybe an explanation of those two verses in our previous study. And so he is informing them again in the form of a question. That those of you who know the law, you're familiar with the law. That look, the law rules over an individual as long as that person lives. That is, for that person who was not under grace, who has not repented and received Jesus Christ. Because if they've done that, now they're under grace. They're not under the law. And I'll explain what we mean by not under the law a little later in tonight's lesson. But to explain this point, the Apostle Paul is going to use marriage as an illustration. And so in verses two and three, it says, for the woman who has a husband is bound or put under obligation by the the law to her husband as long as he, her husband, lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. In other words, she is released from the husband's legal claim over her if that husband dies. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. That is the law regarding marriage. That law that says that she's obligated to only be with that one husband while he lives. So if he dies, then she's free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. And so in this illustration, as we talk about how a person who is not under grace and is still obligated to the law, how they're alive to that law, is going to show that if he's not dead, then guess what? He's not only under the requirements of that law, but that individual who is still alive to the law, is also still under guilt and condemnation, just dead in their sin. And so in this illustration with marriage, we, we see that a woman is to be loyal to her husband as long as he lives. But she's free from that law of being married to that man, that one man. Of course, if he dies. And so although literal marriage is not the point of tonight's study, I would like to touch on it and park right here and and just go over some more details about marriage, about marriage God's way. Of course, we're not going to do a full-blown study on it, but just touch on a few details that are important to tonight's study. And so we're going to we're going to um, side, be a little sidetracked just for a second to talk about literal marriage. Because one thing that we find out through these verses is that God's perfect will in marriage is for people to stay married, one man, one woman, until death separates them. That is God's perfect will. His perfect will is his preferred will. It doesn't mean that we're always going to obey it. Or that it's always going to happen. That, But that is his perfect will. His preferred will. If we want to experience God's best. Then we want to operate in his perfect will. 
And then there's a such thing that's called the absolute will of God. The absolute will of God is what's going to happen no matter what we decide. For example, and I use this example in the past, Jesus is going to come back. No matter how many people believe, no matter how many times we say no or don't come back, he's coming back. That's his absolute will. It's going to happen. But perfect will is his preferred will. That is his best for us. But we have a choice to not be within his perfect will. We have a choice to obey or disobey what his perfect will is. And so that's the first thing I want to point out about literal marriage. Although, once again, it's not necessarily, the point is not necessarily talking about literal marriage, but I, but I feel it's important for us to go over this. And so, that is the first point. Marriage until separated by death is perfect will. And the second thing that I want to point out about marriage is that a person is free to remarry someone. But, that is after, of course, their spouse dies. But, And you will have to go to another verse in the Bible to find this out. But only if that person they remarry is in the Lord. First Corinthians 739 says a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes. And this is where you get that that other part. But only in the Lord. And so those are a couple things I wanted to share about literal marriage tonight. But getting back to the illustration and the point that's being made overall, we're going to look at verse four because it shows us the point once again of this marriage illustration. In verse four, it says, therefore, my brethren, you, that is your old selves, the old man, the old you before Christ. My brethren, you also have become dead to the law. Through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. To who? To him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. And so in that marriage illustration that we saw in verses two and three, the husband is the one who died. And the husband's death set the bride or the woman free from obligations to him as a wife. But in the case of the law and the person who was under the law, as we see expounded upon in verse four, it is the believer who died to the law. Notice that the law didn't didn't die, but the believer in this case, that old them, the old us, our old selves died to the law. And so even though there is a difference in who died in this analogy, Okay, so you have two things going on. The analogy, this comparison being made with with the person who's under the law, married to the law, so to speak. And then you have the other side of the comparison or analogy of the husband and wife. And of course, the husband is the one who died. So although there is a difference in that analogy of, of, of who died, the common thing is death. And that is the main point. The main point is it is death that broke the relationship. It is death that separates. It is death that broke the marriage but in that literal illustration between the wife and her husband. It is death that broke the relationship or that separated the, the person who was under the law from the obligations and the penalty or the curse of the law. And how did the old man die? Well, this brings us back to chapter six, because in chapter six, it says that that we died, that our old man was crucified with Christ. But in chapter six, we died to sin. We died to the power, the penalty of sin. That's what we died to. But in this chapter, of course, We die to the law. How? Once again, in Christ. Because in verse 4 it says, Who have also become dead to the law through the body of Christ. 
And that only happens if the person is, of course, in Christ, that is by faith in him. That is the only way that happens. That is the only way the old you passes away. The old you who was dominated by your sin nature. You live to sin. You gave in constantly. That was your habit, sin. That was your way of life, our way of life, before being born again. But of course, we're raised spiritually in the newness of life. Just like Jesus was literally and bodily resurrected. And so what is, what is meant by the fact that, hey, that the, the believer died to the law? And so to be exact or to be clear, it does not mean that we are free to do evil. Now point that out because there is a moral aspect to the law. We find that in the Ten Commandments. So there is a moral aspect of it. The moral aspect or part of the law shows us God's character. And so it's not saying by saying that we're free to the law or from the law because the old us died and we have a new nature. We're in Christ now. We're under grace. So guess what? We can commit adultery. We can lie. Um, we, we can steal and, and covet and all this stuff. No, it's not saying that. So we're not we're not free to do evil. But what it means is that the, the law is not used as a means to have a right relationship or standing with God. It's not the way to eternal life. It's not the way to sanctification, to be more holy in our walk with God. That's one thing it means we're, we're free from using the law in that way. It also means that we are not bound We're not obligated to keep the civil law and the ceremonial law because you have those different aspects of the law. And so you have the moral law that you see in the Old Testament, right? That's God's character. We even see that in the New Testament, right? Don't steal, don't commit adultery and so forth. But of course, Jesus goes into it into a little more detail by getting to the heart of the matter by saying things like, hey, it's not just you physically committing adultery, but you can commit adultery in your heart by lusting after someone. And Jesus saying things like it's not just physical murder, that's sin, that's breaking the commandment, but it's even hating somebody. That's up there with murder. You're a murderer just by hating Cause that, cause, cause hate leads to that, to literal murder. But the civil law are the laws that regulates the nation of Israel. We're not bound to that. For the way they did things in, in interacting with each other in the nation of Israel. And also the ceremonial law, which refers to the sacrifices or cleanliness or food restrictions, the dietary laws. You know, all of those things have been, all of these laws have really been fulfilled in Christ. They've been fulfilled in Christ. And and so we're, we're free to eat different things and so forth. We don't sacrifice animals anymore. And so if somebody tries to bring that to us, like, why do you still say that this is a sin, but, but then you don't follow this law and not mixing and matching fabrics and so forth. Well, that's because Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled that law and the mixing and things of fabric that has to do with the ceremonial law. And all of those things pointed to Christ. Those were a shadow of the real thing. And the real thing is Christ. And so we're no longer under that. We're no longer guilty and condemned. That's what it means. We're not under the law because James 2 and 10 says, for whoever shall keep the whole law, a person attempting to keeping the whole law of God. And somebody figured out that there are about 613 commandments. And so guess what? You go, if if you want to use the law as a, as a way to be holy and as a way to earn yourself in a way into heaven, then you'll have to keep every single one of them perfectly from the time you were born. You miss one, 
then you're guilty. You're a lawbreaker and going to hell. For whoever shall keep the whole law, James 2.10, just to make the point, and yet stumble in one point, one point, it says he is guilty of all. So do we want to use the law as a means to earn God's good blessings, to earn his favor, to earn our way to heaven, or is it grace? We're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. And if you want to think of it this way, as far as us no longer being guilty and condemned, deserving of death, we're not under the law anymore, but under Jesus. Think of it this way. Think of yourselves as a criminal who has already died. Well, if if you're a dead criminal, then you're no longer obligated to keep the law. How are you going to hold a dead person responsible for keeping the law they're dead already and so that goes back to our to our first verse or do you not know brethren for i speak to those who know the law that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives but again those of us who are in christ have died to the law dead people don't keep laws a dead person does not have to stop at a red light And so we die to the law because we're in Christ, repented, put our faith in him. But what are the implications of us being married to Christ? Because just as that woman was set free in the illustration, in the example, she was set free from the death of her husband, free to uh, marry another man. We, too, are set free, of course, from from the law and, and married to Christ. But what are the implications of this marriage-like relationship between the believers? In other words, between the church and Christ. What are the implications? Because he is the husband of the church. He's the head of the church. So the implication is that, number one, he loves the church. Because the church is the bride of Christ. So if we have this marriage-like relationship with him, then we expect to be loved. And of course, he showed his love because he gave himself as a sacrifice for us. And the scriptures tell us in Ephesians 5 that in doing that, he sanctified the church and he cleansed the church through the word of God. And so we are sanctified. We are we we are holy and and cleansed. We we hear the gospel message. We repent. We receive that the, the one that the message is about, that is Jesus. And now we're set apart to him. We're holy in his eyes. That's our position. We're cleansed in his eyes. That's our position. But also that cleansing is a continual process through the word of God. If you remember what he told Peter, Peter was like, hey, I want you to wash my whole body, bathe me. Because at first he refused Jesus washing his feet. Jesus says, hey, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part with me. So Peter, he changed his mind. You know know what? Give me a bath. My whole body, every part of me. Jesus said, you know what? You don't need that. You're clean already. Already. You've already bathed. The only thing you need is to have your feet washed. And that talks about the sanctification process. You see, we are cleansed. We're set apart already. The moment we say, I do to Christ. Remember justification. Right standing with God. But now we need to be cleansed continually. That's a process called sanctification. And that's the washing of feet that Jesus told Peter about. Hey, the only thing you need is to wash your feet. As you go through life, you're going to pick up some dust. You're going to pick up some dirt. And so continue to get the word of God in you. And be cleansed in your walk. Have a closer fellowship with God. And so he loves the church is the first point. That's the implication of this marriage-like relationship that we have with, the ch- with, with Jesus as the church. He loves us, gave himself for us. Also, it implies that we are connected to him. We are united with Christ. And of course, as I mentioned, he's the head of the church. And if he's the head of the church, we as the church need to submit to his authority. These are more implications of what it means for us as the body of Christ to be married to him. It also implies that Jesus as the bridegroom, that he takes care of us. 
And one of the best part about this, about him being the bridegroom and the church being the bride, is that we'll be presented to him, Ephesians 5, holy and, and, and without any blemish. And we'll spend the rest of our lives with him. Remember, death separates in marriage. Well, in our marriage to Christ, there is no separation because he is an eternal being. He is an eternal being. And the one who has life, he gives life. He says, if I live, you will live if you believe in him. You become part of his body. You become his bride. So just as Eve came out of Adam, the church came out of Jesus. If it weren't for Jesus, there will be no church. These are the implications of being married to Christ. So the question I want to pose tonight is, as a church, are we behaving like we are married to Jesus? In other words, are we being loyal to Jesus? As one Bible teacher used to say back home in California when I lived in L.A., as one of the pastors used to say, are you loyal to the royal? And that's how we should be if we're truly married to him. In verses 5 and 6, it says, for when we were in the flesh or when we were controlled by our sinful nature, when we were unsaved, the sinful passions which were aroused or stimulated by the law were at work in our members or in our body parts to bear fruit to death or that resulted in death. But now in verse 6, we have been delivered from the law. We've been delivered from his penalty or its claims, having died, how? Through Christ. That's a reminder of what we talked about. Having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit. Or in a new way in the power of the spirit. That is the spirit of God. Third person of the Trinity. The triunity of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And if you're new to that saying, you're new here tonight, you're visiting son, meaning Jesus, part of the Godhead, three in one. And so having died to what we are held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter, not according to written rules or the law. And this brings us back to the question. This brings us back to the title for tonight's lesson. And the question is, once again, how are we serving the Lord? After reading verse 6, how are we serving the Lord? Darrell, what are you saying? What I'm saying is, what manner or what way are we trying to have a relationship with him? What way are we trying to strengthen our fellowship with him, with God? How are we serving the Lord? In what manner or what way are we trying to do the work of God? In what way are we trying to live for him? To live in a way that pleases him. How are we serving him? See, according to verse 6, there's a possibility of serving in the oldness of the letter and in the newness of the spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some use the oldness of the letter, wrong way. Some use the newness of the spirit, the right way, in an attempt to accomplish the work of God, in an attempt to get closer to God. And so that oldness of the letter in verse 6, of course, is a reference to the law. It's a reference to the written rules or the requirement. And so you have some people, once again, who, who are trying to serve the Lord By using the law, by using rules as the rule of life. Some have even created their own list of do's and don'ts. They've used their own rules of their religion, whatever the religion they are a part of. And so there is a such thing that is called legalism. Legalism means there's a strict, literal, or excessive conformity to the law, or to a religious or moral code. And so some are trying to serve God through legalism. And guess what? There are some clear characteristics. 
there's some clear consequences from serving in the oldness of the letter, which is legalism, versus the newness of the spirit. There's some consequences and characteristics of serving God in either way, of doing his work in either way, of trying to get closer to him in either way. And if you're an unbeliever, a person can try to live life by a set of rules to earn their way into heaven. And so what we see as we as we contrast, look at the differences between these two ways of serving. We see that we're talking about religion versus relationship, religion, trying to earn our way into heaven, a set of rules, a set of do's and don'ts, man trying to reach out to a God. But we're talking about relationship when we talk about serving him in the newness of the spirit. We're talking about relationship when we talk about Christianity. We're talking about relationship when we're talking about being married to Jesus. So we see religion versus relationship when we see serving in the oldness of the letter and the newness of the spirit. We see the external versus the internal. We see somebody trying to serve God from the outside in. With serving in the oldness of the letter legalism, keeping a set of rules, that's what we see there. But we see an eternal thing happening. We see an internal change, change from the inside out when we're talking about serving in the newness of the spirit. And this is something that was prophesied back in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, 26. This is God talking to the children of Israel. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Change from the inside out. That's serving in the newness of the spirit. Speaking of the new covenant. Jesus even talked about this in John 4, 24, talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. He says, look, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, not by going to a certain location, not by facing a certain direction, bowing down a certain amount of times at certain times of the day, not by going through all these sacrifices in the sacrificial system. But no, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. If we if we're going to serve a spirit being, we have to connect with him in, in the area of the spirit. But the only way our spirit comes to life, we are spiritually alive, is through a new birth, being born again, repenting of our sins, putting our faith in Christ. Our spirit is now alive. And so we serve him on that spiritual plane or area, serving him from the inside out. But also, Jesus says, serve him in truth, serve him in sincerity. In other words, serve him according to how God wants you to serve him. According to his word. And also as we look at these differences, the oldness of the letter, the newness of the spirit, we see the motivation under the oldness of the letter being a fear, an unhealthy fear versus love, newness of the spirit. We see serving in the oldness of the law breeds pride. But the newness of the spirit serving him in that way breeds humility. Because we know it's due to his grace that we're able to serve him. We understand that serving under the oldness of the letter by a set of rules. We make ourselves independent of God. We're serving him in our own strength according to our flesh. But in the spirit under Jesus, under grace, we are dependent. We're depending on the spirit of God. And we see it as a duty. If we're serving according to the letter of the law. But under Jesus, in the newness of the spirit, we see serving him as a privilege. We say we get to serve him, not we have to. Serving in your flesh, serving according to the oldness of the letter will lead to burnout. But guess what? If you're serving in the newness of the spirit, you cannot burn out the spirit of God. And so that will lead to you being fired up. You see that serving under the law, what it does is arouses, and this especially before that old us died, it, that law aroused, it stimulated those sinful passions in the old man. Not that the law is evil, and we'll talk about that in the, in the next lesson, but because when the old man sees the law and the law says, don't do this, 
Then the old man ruled by sin says, but what if I just do that a little bit? You see what the law does? It arouses those sinful passions. Not that the law is bad, but our, our flesh, our, our sin nature is bad. But if we are married to Jesus, if we die to the law and are married to Jesus, then we bear fruit to God. And we found that out in our lesson. And the reason we are able to bear fruit to God, fruit that pleases him, is because we are abiding in the vine. John 15. John 15, 4 says, abide in me and I in you. This is Jesus talking. In other words, he's saying, remain in me. Be connected to me. Be married to me. Since we're talking about marriage and I and you, we are connected. Just like we're connected in marriage, in literal marriage. He says, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so we have to be dead to the requirements and the curse of the law. So we could be alive to Jesus and be connected to the true vine so that we'll bear fruit to him. That is that is serving in the newness of the spirit. And then the last scripture for tonight is is in Matthew chapter nine, uh, verses nine, verses 14 through 17. I have to wrap it up quickly. It says, then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Of course, Jesus is speaking of himself being the bridegroom. And he says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth in an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine in new wineskins and both are preserved. Now, now the wineskins at that time was, was made of the skin of an animal, usually the skin of goats. And so the newer wineskins will be able to handle the new wine as it ferments and the gas is expanded. It's more elastic. Speaking of the new wineskins. But the older, drier, more brittle wineskins, they would burst because of that fermentation and expanding gas during that fermentation process of the new wine. It will burst. And so what is this saying? What is Jesus talking about and talking about uh, don't put uh, new wine into old wineskins? What Jesus is talking about is, is don't try to don't try to fit in the new covenant within the old covenant, the old way of doing things. Don't don't try to mix Christianity with Judaism. Don't try to uh, be a Christian and then serve according to the oldness of the letter, doing the old sacrifices and and, and being uh, super strict, and that's the way you're going to relate to God. And when you think of that way that I'm talking about, think of Pharisee. In other words, don't be a Pharisee. So with the coming of the new covenant, God was not trying to mix the old practices of Judaism with Christianity, with the new thing he was doing. In fact, Hebrews 8.13 says, in that he says a new covenant He has made the first, that is the first covenant obsolete. Jesus fulfilled it, right? He's made the first one obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away as the worship team comes up. And so a question that I want to pose to you and to all of us is, are we trying to make our service to God fit within the containers of the old wineskins? Are we trying to make our service to God based upon following a list of do's and don'ts with no Holy Spirit involved. That's not involving the grace of God. That's not involving faith. That's not involving Jesus. Are we trying to fit the way God wants us to live into the old way, according to our own legalism and traditions that that we made up? Because if so, if we're trying to fit the new things of the Spirit, into the old way of doing things in order to uh, to please God or to or, or to serve God, 
then what's going to happen, like in the illustration Jesus gave in Matthew 9, we're going to end up bursting and spilling some things. Because if you try to serve in the old way, in your own flesh, according to a list of rules, what you're going to do is you're going to end up spilling the benefits and the blessings of the new covenant that you have in Christ. Jesus says that the new covenant is in my blood. And so you're going to spill some of those blessings. You're going to spill some benefits of being married to Jesus. If we're trying to serve him according to rules, a list of do's and don'ts, instead of being uh, led by the spirit, instead of serving him in the newness of the spirit. And some of the things that we're going to spill, that's going to burst open, trying to fit the new into the old wineskin. Some things you're going to miss out on that's going to spill out and you're not going to enjoy and benefit from our Joy. Joy is going to spill out as you're trying to fit the, the, what God wants you to do into the old way of doing things, into using only the power of your flesh to accomplish things and obeying rules and lists of do's and don'ts. Uh, if you try to uh, follow legalism, legalistic practices, you're going to miss out on the joy that you could be experiencing in your marriage to Jesus or under the new covenant. You're going to be missing out on the joy that you could have in walking and serving God in the newness of the spirit or being married to Christ. You're going to miss that. You're going to miss out on those victories that you can have in the spirit and walking in victory over the tactics of the enemy and over the weaknesses of your flesh. And so we're going to miss out on some things. Those things are going to spill out. Another things we're going to, that's going to happen if we try to serve him in the old way, fit God's way or trying to serve him into these old wineskins. The new thing that God is trying to do. What we're going to end up doing is restricting it. We're going to restrict the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that that we can quench the spirit. In other words, we can put out the flame of the spirit. And God will be trying to do a new thing. He'll be trying to do a new thing in our lives. He'll be trying to do a new thing in our home. He'll be trying to do a new thing in our church, a new thing in our ministries. And we're going to quench the spirit because we want to stick to the traditions. We want to stick to legalism instead of flowing in the newness of the spirit, instead of enjoying the blessings of a relationship or marriage to him. And so we do not want those things to to spill over and we don't want to waste those things and those opportunities because we refuse to be in the spirit to serve in the newness of the spirit let's pray father we thank you for tonight we thank you for your holy spirit help us lord to to enjoy the relationship and fellowship we have with you through jesus help us lord to To not try to fit the new thing that you're doing into the legalism or the old traditions in our minds. Father, you want us to be flexible. You want us to serve willingly. You want us to serve in the power that is available to us via your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to day by day rely on you because you will not lead us in a way that will contradict your word. Father, give us a better understanding. Help us to walk in victory. Help us to enjoy, to just enjoy you, Lord. To obey you, but not in our flesh, but in your spirit. As you said in Zechariah, Lord, It's not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit. We love you, Lord. 
Bless my brothers and sisters tonight, Lord. Fill them with your spirit. Fill them with your wisdom. Fill them with your joy. Bless the remainder of their night, Lord. Bless them with traveling grace. We love you and thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you all for coming out tonight. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your service. Amen. God bless you and we love you. Um, In case I don't get to talk to any of you before we leave. Remember to keep each other in prayer. Be open and flexible to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And there's a saying that Pastor Chuck used to have. He kind of created his own beatitude. He said, blessed are the flexible, for they will not be broken. So be open to the work of the Spirit and serving in the newness of the Spirit. Amen. God bless.